So Lisa, last summer, I had the pleasure of chilling out in the lap of luxury uh, with several of my girlfriends in Jamaica. And it was the first time, let me be clear, the first time that I stayed in an actual villa, not a hotel, not a a resort, all of that. Um, So that was inherently interesting. I'm like, oh, I could get used to this. How about that? Um, But what was really interesting was that we had a chef uh, there and uh, other wait staff and so forth that we were very grateful for. But the chef made the smallest portions for our vegetarian girlfriend that was there. Now, mind you, my vegetarian girlfriend is, she, she has what many would say would be a black woman's stereotypical body. She is not thin. She is very fit. She is an Ironman. She's done multiple triathlons, et cetera. So whatever stereotypes that you may have about an athlete just simply does not fit this person. But I got so tickled because I was across the table (laughs) eating my fish and my seafood, watching this whole thing unfold. And the portion size, I mean, could fit in the palm of my hand and so she went back and she said look I need you to give me like three times this portion size because this ain't gonna work for me I eat well and so I don't know when vegetarian and small portion Mm -hmm. sizes became Mm -hmm. synonymous but that certainly was not the case for my friend and it just got me thinking about these stereotypes of body body image everything pertaining to one's body and how it plays out in everyday life I mean, that was very interesting. And I'm not vegetarian, but I was like, wait a minute, she needs some food on that plate. Oh, yeah. Yep, I can relate. I am vegetarian and often my portions are tiny comparatively or folks think a salad will be sufficient as though, you know, vegetarians don't need sustenance, you know, to put one foot in front of the other. Um, Actually reminds me of Outspoken the first year in 2018. We were in a hotel and one of the lunches, we didn't have enough um, food because as it turned out, we found out the um, catering manager had ordered less sandwiches than he would have for a group of men because he assumed that as a group of women, we would not eat as much. Um, Completely (laughs) failed to take into the account Uh -uh. that we are, we were all endurance athletes, but also just the assumption that women eat less is problematic, right? Um, Because uh, that was not the case in this particular situation. And obviously in your friend's situation, her vegetarianism did not mean that a lettuce leaf was sufficient. <laughs> exactly. That's what I'm talking about, Lisa. So, you know, I think we should talk about this in regards to, you know, where all these stereotypes kind of come from and, you know, we need to work to debunk them. And I can think of many of them that kind of intersect with body type, uh, food and nutrition, all the things. So let's dive in. All right. Yep. I'm Dr. Shauna Payne-Gold and I go by she, her, her pronouns. And I'm Dr. Lisa Ingefield and I go by she, her, hers. Welcome to Unfazed, a podcast to disrupt your normal and challenge your brain to go the distance. I may be the first, but I know I won't be the last. Create a little club, do something. Just do something that's, if it's not there already, create it. 
be the leader. If you can knock down that barrier and be the first, it makes it a lot easier for other people to come through without having to go through a lot of those things. Is women supporting women? So we not only have to support each other, but we have to decide that we're gonna choose solidarity and act on it. The Outspoken Women in Endurance Sports Summit brings women together to build connections, increase and sustain women's leadership in the industry, and drive forward equity and inclusion. In the past, we focused on women in triathlon, but this year, we are expanding our scope and including all endurance sports with a key focus on business. Learn strategies to help you grow your own business, ways to build your influence and career in the endurance industry, and leave with a network of other women committed to helping you succeed. Join us at the Outspoken Summit from November 11th to November 13th in Tempe, Arizona. Visit OutspokenSummit.com or click the link in the show notes for more information and get your ticket today. That's OutspokenSummit.com. The Outspoken Summit. Build your brand, grow your influence, drive your impact. Age is just a number, but your health is a science. People age at different speeds, some faster, some slower. That means the date that marks your birthday may not represent your body's actual biological age. That's why Inside Tracker developed InnerAge 2.0. This proprietary AI-driven platform reveals how your body is aging and provides a personalized, science-backed action plan to help you get younger from the inside out. We believe that your best self isn't behind you, it's within you. And by looking at the science of your health and longevity, you can discover the personalized path to living healthier and longer. So, if you want to continue doing the activities you love, with the people you love, for the rest of your life, it's time to turn back the clock with InnerAge 2.0. For a limited time, Feisty listeners can take 20% off your entire Inside Tracker order, including InnerAge 2.0. Just visit InsideTracker.com forward slash Feisty. Whether you're competing in a triathlon or swimming to challenge yourself, Orca has fit for purpose swimwear designed to meet your needs. Innovation has always been part of Orca's DNA. And when it came to the development of their new triathlon wetsuits, a wide range of skill levels and different types of triathletes were taken into account. Whether you're looking for maximum flexibility, maximum buoyancy, or somewhere in between, Orca wetsuits are designed to help you achieve better performance in the water. It is performance made simple. For 15% off all items at orca.com, use the code IRONWOMEN15. So, Lisa, let me tell you, I have uh, spent many years ago, I've spent a lot of time working on my body and it had nothing to do with triathlon. I didn't even know that triathlon existed um, when I was in the world of pageantry. Um, and so you can Google it. You'll probably find a woman that had a bunch of makeup on her face that didn't match her body, this figure that you just don't recognize, all the things, right? 
But, you know, I think it's so interesting because at that time, I just was not aware of how much body image was distorted. Everything from hair to makeup to uh, body fat or what you what people think you should look like as far as your shape, your weight. I just think it's so fascinating that we still uh, kind of live by these stereotypes that don't work for most people. They just don't work. Mm, and it's it's both an internal and external thing, right? So you had shared that article in The Atlantic about how people's perceptions of or reading of your body, whether that's your clothing, your body shape, your height, tattoos, no tattoos, et cetera, affect judgments that are made about you and that even though cognitively many of us know that these assumptions are culturally manufactured and are bs we still subconsciously continue to do it and that cycle continues right right? that's right exactly exactly and and you know this is my smart ass question that i ask all the time when it comes to stereotypes and that includes me questioning myself on this very topic is what fiction narrative have I created to attach on to something that may or may not be true? So, and we can think about all the different things, whether it's, oh, well, that woman is blonde, so she's not all that smart or intelligent, or this person has a larger body type, so they may not, they must not be disciplined because they eat what they want or they uh, they don't exercise. That's a huge, all of these are fiction narratives that we've created that just yeah, simply- yeah may not be true. We have no evidence to prove any of that, but these are the things that we think about. Like even some of the positive ones where my son was talking to me the other day because he wears glasses now going into middle school. And he specifically talked about, well, mommy, when you wear glasses, aren't you smarter when you wear glasses? And part of me is like, of course, son. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But then on the other hand, I'm like, not necessarily. There's plenty of people. Left-handedness, for example. Oh, well, left-handed people are this versus right-handed people. So all of these things, I'm like, my mind is blown because we could go in so many different directions, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. how are these fiction narratives limiting people from experiencing certain things like a full portion of food? I mean, come on. It's ridiculous. You know, the glasses thing is funny because I had a pair of glasses a few back now by Kate Spade, I think that might be right. Um, Anyway, I didn't realize until after I had bought these frames inside on the inside arm of one of them, it said something to the effect of boys like girls in glasses or something like that. And it like absolutely made me explode in rage because I had been wearing these glasses and it was just the most obnoxious um, Mm -hmm. statement that, you know, girls, you should wear glasses because boys will like you more, which is likely connected to the smartness. Although we also know that women who are perceived as smart as smart by men are often perceived also as threatening. Right. Um, So it was just, uh, it was really interesting. And I definitely have friends who would prefer to get um, contacts or the laser surgery than get Mm -hmm. glasses because of kind of connotations around age as well with having glasses and wanting to hide the Mm -hmm. kind of natural aging process that comes with your eyesight. So that's um, also really interesting, right? That we have, 
as a culture kind of loaded onto a tiny pair of spectacles all of these um assumptions and beliefs about who a person is and what it means and what it says about you Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. And I've worn glasses myself since I was in eighth grade. And so I've spent the majority of my life with glasses, contacts, or a combination of the two. And so, yeah, you're exactly right. You know, what are the preconceived notions that people have about all these things? Um, I had a really great conversation. This was after everything blew up on uh, LinkedIn with the young woman that, um, the woman that had uh, sleeve tattoos. Um, and she wondered whether it was quote unquote professional to uh, take her headshots um, for work without a blazer or something on covering it. And so I was talking to a friend of mine who is a trained professional chef. And even there, when I'm thinking, wait a minute, you know, food and culinary arts, it's all part of art as genres, right? And I see, you know, look, I watch Food Network a lot. Okay, I'm just like that. I'm greedy like that. And so I watch Food Network and some of these big name chefs have a lot of tattoos, you know, arm sleeves, et cetera, things on their hands and so forth. And I never even considered that that could be problematic depending on the pecking order that you're in in the kitchen. So the people that I see that have the tattoos are the big name people that are on TV and they have their own shows and they own X number of restaurants, et cetera. And then you see the other line cooks that have their chef coats rolled all the way down, covering their entire arms. It's probably hotter, probably less comfortable. And they have to cover their tattoos up because of where they are and that kind Mm. of caste Mm. system of the working professional chef and I'm like dang I put that together but it's complete sense like why why does that need to happen that's fascinating right so your status or your perceived status in this case in the context of chefing (laughs) it's not a word chefery Uh, as uh, Gordon Ramsay says chefery um (laughs) it determines whether or not you can you can show your tattoos but then also kind of this quote-unquote professional standard right we've I think we've talked about that before and how that is professional dress is rooted in whiteness right in in maleness and in whiteness and I was even thinking about this. I've just finished up teaching a class in social policy advocacy. And um, one of the assignments is the students have to record a testimony that they're giving to a legislative committee. So they record into the camera. And the requirements are that they have to be dressed professionally as they might be if they've gone to the state capitol and they would be um sharing their testimony in front of these these legislators, right? And then, you know, it gave me pause because to have the the term professional in there, right? Who's defining what is professional? And if a, a student were to testify in front of a legislative committee about an issue, in this case, a social work issue that's of importance to them and impacts the lives of many of their clients and they roll in in a t-shirt, does that lessen their credibility, right? Like, you know, and so the assumptions that get made about a person depending on the space and depending on the clothing choice around their intelligence, their credibility, their discipline, their, um, you know, reliability, all those things get read in. And it's like, Mm, still mm -hmm. in 2022, we see this happening. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And there's so many angles that are 
affected by these stereotypes. I mean, I've already talked about, you know, maybe it's your hair color, maybe it's your glasses, your weight, uh, the shape of your body in particular, which uh, we can affect some of it, but we can't really adjust all of it, you know? And so given that, you know, what is the actual shape that you were born with? Maybe your shape is somewhat hereditary, for example. Um, your musculature, you know, we we think about who is naturally more muscular than other people and how is that defined or determined, right? So if a white male is very muscular, is he going to be interpreted the same way as a black male that is very muscular or a white woman who's muscular or a black woman who's muscular or so all of those uh intersections of identity and how they can right, right. um how all of those interpretations can still be inaccurate right um you know your body size your fitness level um i love reading those stories about uh women especially women of color who are usually deemed as obese or morbidly obese, but they end up being that marathoner or that ultra runner. And it's, I, I don't want to go down the vein of inspiration porn, which, which we've talked about a lot on this podcast, but the surprise of people that made an assumption that that type of athletic feat was not possible in that type of body. That's what yeah. really, yeah. you know, makes it interesting to me. Um, you know, meat eaters versus vegetarians, for example, and what they look like versus what they don't look like. All of this, I'm just, I, I sit back mm -hmm, and wait for the mm -hmm. fiction narratives to start and just hope that we get to a place where all of us are open to those fiction narratives uh, being debunked, changed, mm -hmm, altered, mm -hmm. you know, stay open to the element of surprise because most likely we're not accurate on many of these things, many. So, okay, so these fiction narratives, which I really love that term, it, you know, thinking from an external lens here, so not talking about our own internal sense of self and body image, but thinking rather how we make assumptions about other people when we look at them, um, whether that's their intelligence or their athleticism. And so this, these narratives, these fictional narratives keep coming into play. So why are they so persistent? Like, because I do, there's like a, there is a, there's a cognitive piece here. Like, I think many of us would say that we don't make assumptions when we look at people's body type or tattoos or hairstyle or piercings, or, you know, whether they're pear shaped or they have big boobs or no boobs, right? Like, but I think that we're fooling ourselves. And I just, I'm curious, and you also do not have to have the answer to this. I'm just wanting to pick your brain. Why does this still happen? Goodness, I don't know. I, I don't have a good question. I'm, I'm what I am. Let, let me throw an idea out there and we'll see where how far this goes. Part of it may be that we assume that something is an exception rather than the norm. And it's not an exception in some cases. So like, for example, when, and I know these numbers are outdated, but just go with me here, Lisa. Um, you probably recall um, when, it went out in media that the average U.S. woman's size, as far as clothing size or jean size, what have you, I believe was either a 10 or a 12. I can't remember quite accurately, but it definitely was much larger than the quote unquote model size of two, four, six, right? Well, even that, when they shared that this is the average and this is the, the normal 
quote unquote, whatever normal is, this is more often a U.S. woman's size, we still didn't want to accept it. And we still looked at, you know, magazines saying, oh, well, that woman on the cover that's a size two is quote unquote normal. And so I, I think that we discount that these averages are truly average. They are more common than we want to think. And so that one person that looks like, for example, um, I remember uh, when Victoria's Secret was still doing their um, their fashion shows after um, the Super Bowl. And I remember when Heidi Klum was still called the body, right? Now, that's interesting because Tyra Banks' body, who was called overweight many, many, many times, Tyra Banks' body was still smaller than most U.S. women's bodies, but Tyra was called overweight and Heidi Klum was labeled the body, partially because she snapped back, it seemed to be so quickly after her children, but because she had this ideal size, she was blonde, all these other things that have been very popular in the white male gaze. And so with that, I'm like, mm. Are are we still not wanting to accept that this size or this body is more normal or mm-hmm. more often often found than not? I I think that's part of it. I know that's not a full answer. Yeah, I mean, it's not unusual for us to be presented with facts and then for us to just ignore them, <laughs> right? As a culture, that happens in all different areas of our lives. Um, And I I definitely think there's a piece of that, particularly around women and body image and whiteness and standards of beauty. And then, so that is a partial explanation. And what about the person who is tattooed? So the chef, right? Who is tattooed, um, you know, or wearing glasses as a kid, right? Like it's a slightly different, issue I think it maybe the root is the same the way our media perpetuates and teaches us from a very young age yeah what is the right way to be and so it's so very internalized we cannot help but judge people but it it feels like the Heidi Klum's and Tyra Banks situation is different from your chef example Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah I think well I think part of it is uh well the the chef example gives a much more of a of an example of hierarchy and power than Heidi and Tyra do um but I still think you know part of me feels like the the African-American woman's body will never be a hundred percent acceptable to certain groups never I don't care what they do they, they just won't um, I'm not saying that's fair or right. I'm just saying that there will always be something that's either turned on or turned off by the black woman. We're either over-sexualized or under, one of the two, never accurately. So, you know, given that, I think that piece is interesting too. Um, but yeah, there's there's a piece of me that says, who gets to decide? Isn't that always the question? Who gets to decide what's right, desirable, right. what's appropriate? Like, mm-hmm. you know, we even talked about this, Lisa, where I was... Um, sharing that um, at my most fit, where I felt the best, 
Um, my doctor gave me great numbers. I had great blood work come back and so forth. And by the traditional scales of BMI and all the things, I would still be considered by the numbers morbidly obese, even at my most fit. So that was yet, which I knew there was some foolishness going on with the scales and all of that going on because it didn't consider people like me. But that gave me more to think about when it's like, oh, well, then there's nothing wrong with me. There's something wrong with the measurement. Right, right. And so how do we get more people to the point of saying there's nothing wrong with me if I have sleeve tattoos? There is something wrong with the system that says that I am less professional or less equipped or less skilled to do something because of that. And same thing with endurance sport. You know, there's nothing wrong with someone being. 200 plus pounds mm-hmm. and they're still finishing that Ironman. They're still doing X, Y, Z. They're still um, healthy by their medical standards, by their medical professional standards, but right. yet the common scales are saying otherwise. Nothing wrong with that person. Something wrong with the scales, the metrics. Yeah. And then the way that person is judged or assumed to be lazy or unreliable, right? Based on um, mm. this kind of fictitious equation of size and health. I mean, mm-hmm, I've mm-hmm. people have always made assumptions about me. I have a smaller frame um, that I've always been really fit. But my argument from a very young point in my life before I even really understood it was, no, I get out of breath walking upstairs, right? Like my body <laughs> size does not determine my mm-hmm. they, Those two would always be put together. I remember that as a teenager, Um, and then that became like this badge of honor for a whole different other set of reasons, but it's a problem, right? Like how we're making those assumptions. And I just wanted to read this piece from the Atlantic article that you had shared with me. And it says, this is from 2018. So it says new research suggests elements of your appearance that are far more difficult to control also have substantial impact on those all important first impressions. So a recent study in 2018, um, University of Texas Dallas researchers asked a group of American subjects to look at bodies of different shapes, not just thin and fat, but detailed variations such as pear-shaped and broad-shouldered and assign personality traits to those shapes. The results showed not just the range of stereotypical moral judgments people make about others' appearances, but also how difficult it can be to change conventional wisdom, even decades after the science underpinning it has been disavowed. So um, there's science underpinning these assumptions that we're making about people's bodies, which um, I think is linked in this article, but I didn't actually know that. And this goes to my question to you, Shauna, is like, why is it so persistent? Why is it stubborn? And we cannot seem to move beyond it, you know? Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We don't want to be great, Lisa. We don't We don't want to be great. And, and part of it is, you know, it goes back to some of the fundamentals that we've thought about for a long time in regards to DEI insider status and outsider status, you know, it's okay. So the insiders, the, the triathletes who we know are triathletes, when we see them are the insiders, they're the smaller frames. They're the ones that look relatively thin and they can probably, you know, ride at 20 miles an hour going uphill in the wind, you know, those stereotypical people, whereas people who look like me, who will never, Never be one of those extra small people have never had that type of build. They're perceived as a volunteer. 
quite right. literally. I've seen right. it happen more than once or a Sherpa for somebody else that's racing on that day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or the assumption that your spouse or partner is racing and you're just walking around with the backpack. Yeah. That's how it plays out. That's how it ends up playing out in the day-to-day, the assumptions yeah. that are made. And a person's natural body type, right? That mm-hmm. is just kind of the natural way you are when you're not trying to fix it or change it is your fault, right? Like there's something yes. really damaging and poisonous in our culture that points the finger at the individual and to the point of the research from the Atlantic, you know, like these are identities that cannot be shifted in a lot of cases, right? Like your hair is your hair, your body shape is your body shape, your vision is your vision. And certainly, well, there are some ways to fix some vision issues, right? But not all, you know, like your feet size is your, are your feet size? Like, I mean, like, what about judgments about people's feet, right? Like, I don't thinking about the the assumptions people make about women who have larger feet, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah, exactly. smaller women who are like five foot, four foot, nine, five foot, like assumptions about their capacity to be assertive or a leader. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, Mm -hmm. that just like wraps into just assumptions about women in general and leadership, but then you have a smaller person, um, or that, that, you know, they're just, they're just angry because of X, Y, C feature of their person that is unchangeable. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, and here's the thing. <laughs> All right. This is where I get on my, my soapbox on the whole, all the things in relation to body image is that there are many things that you mentioned perfectly that cannot be changed. And the very few things that possibly can be changed are expected to be changed in such a manner that it contorts the person to the most discomfort, even to the threat of their own health. And I'll give you an example of that. So we have known for many, many, many years that the white European stereotype of very straight hair is what has been perpetuated amongst Black women, for example, or Latina women, for example. And so many of us for many years, myself included, since age of 12, had relaxers, which is chemicals that are used. If you happen to not be black and understand black uh, hair, chemicals that are used, in fact, to further straighten and thin the hair. Now, there's lots of research and evidence out there that says those very same chemicals are not good for the body. They have in the past and historically have used chemicals like lye and other things that have eventually turned into forms of breast cancer, right? That's part of the reason why I stopped relaxing my hair was because I already had breast cancer running in my family. I did not need to accelerate nothing. So I said, forget it. I don't care if I come out with an Angela Davis Afro. Now that I know this medical history, I'm not using relaxers anymore. But it was the expectation that your hair should look a certain way rather than my current natural hair that doesn't use chemicals that's cut in a mohawk, right? So this contortion, and I could pick a lot of other contortions too. The contort makeup, we talked about makeup before. I would consider that a contortion as well. These contortions that cause people to be extremely uncomfortable for the sake of somebody else's comfort. And that's not okay. It's just, it's not okay. It's not okay. Yeah. I mean, that's such an important point to underscore. 
the ways in which many of us change our appearance in ways that are possible, whether that's a little wearing some makeup or covering a tattoo or trying to lose weight or whatever it looks like Mm -hmm. is it's an internalized thing. Yes. But it's largely predicated on external assumptions made about us or our concerns about those external assumptions that are going to be made about us. And that's in any setting, right? That's in friendship settings, that's in professional settings, that's in athletic settings and the changes and the tweaks may be different depending on your context, but it, it is, if, if we were able to, as a culture, stop assigning meaning and morality and value and judgments to individuals based on how we are reading Mm -hmm. them, right? Tall, Mm -hmm. short, gosh, even the terminology tall and short, there's still Mm -hmm. a, that's, there's a, value in there isn't there right yes yes yes. you know like short isn't good and tall is good right um right so even like how do we like even unpacking that and thinking about the ways in which we even describe people and then how we assign value I mean I'm thinking about job interviews right like oh yes 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 you know and those first impressions are very salient in a job interview context Oh, absolutely. Well, and, and, you know, when do we get to the place, going back to your point on assigning value, when do we get to a place where we assume the best before we assume the worst, right? So why can't we assume that, oh yes, this person I would not have based on the stereotypes that have been programmed in me since childhood. I may not assume that that heavier person is a marathoner, but I'm also not canceling that out of my head that it's a possibility, you know, and, and so for me, I just think it's so very interesting that you're right. We do assign these values with no possibility that someone could be something other than the contrived story that we've created about them right. based on whatever. Right. And I'm like, that's not okay. I don't want to live by somebody's contrived values. And and it's unfortunate that some contrived values are positive and some are negative. So right. let's say for, for you, Lisa, let's say that the contrived narrative was Lisa has a smaller frame, so she must be an Olympian, where Shauna has a larger frame, and so she must be a couch potato, when actually Shauna's the Olympian. Well, th- it's unfortunate that we don't even make space in our mind for the possibility right. Right. of a positive assumption about the narrative. Yeah, It's jacked up. It's it's messed up. It's messed and then up. when we're presented with a counter factual, it becomes the exception. Even though, to your point around the body size piece around or, or clothing size of the ten or the twelve, it's actually not an exception, right? The exception is exactly. the two or the zero. I mean, we're not even going to get into the fact that clothing companies manipulate sizing and that's right. Who that's the right. heck like triple zero? Mm-hmm. Like that's not even a size. Um, and mm-hmm. so, yeah, I think that there's something else going on here and it's really, really ingrained. And I think Mm -hmm. we have probably just scratched the surface of it in this conversation. Oh yes, absolutely. We've, we've barely gotten there, but yeah, I do think there's something to these, you know, contortions and fiction narratives. And I think, you know, maybe how we can kind of pull the two together in endurance sport is saying that, we don't want people to contort themselves into these narratives that aren't true for them. We we don't want people. So how do we construct an endurance sport community that requires people 
to be themselves and doesn't allow people to contort themselves because they're perfectly valuable the way they are. Yeah. Well, I think that's a beautiful place to finish. So let's um, shift and jump into our hell yeah, hell nah for this week. Hell yeah. Hell no. All right. Well, look, I was very excited because um, I was probably one of those little girls when uh, Dominique Dawes was an Olympian, (laughs) when she was uh, in the Olympics, flipping across the couch and breaking my neck doing certain things. Um, So women's gymnastics have always been a big deal for me. But now when you put more and more and more Black women on the podium. It makes me even happier. Um, So we just wanted to highlight that for the first time at the U.S. Gymnastics Championships, three Black women swept the entire competition. Podium, 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 right? Mm -hmm. My my girlfriend say all the time, P is for podium, right? Um, So we have Connor McLean, Shalice Jones, and 2021 Tokyo Olympic silver medalist, yay, Jordan Childs, All three of them are now on the podium, and I'm thrilled because it's the first time it's ever happened. Um, And so given that we know all of them are incredible uh, athletes, and I'm just grateful I'm here to see all three of them hit the podium at the very same time. So, yay, super excited. And uh, once again, uh, on one hand, (laughs) here we go with the, the hell yeah and the hell maybe. Hell yeah, we are thrilled for these ladies. And then the hell mm, is, gosh, I wish it didn't take so long for this day to come. Right. Ugh. Right. Yeah. yeah. And and hope that it won't be the only day, right? That this Absolutely. is now the beginning. Um, and that rolling stone. That door down. A lot of moss. Yes. Okay. Well, my hell, hell nah was sent to me by the lovely Melanie Mitchell of Pol- Poppy Sports. I hadn't seen it and she texted it to me um in rage that uh i guess the finnish prime minister a woman sanna marin um was found to be or seen or captured dancing and having a good time with her friends at a private event and has been absolutely shredded um, in the media by her political opponents and just the media in general about how irresponsible it is for her to be having um, a party during a economic crisis and that it is both unprofessional and irresponsible. Um, some even going as far as to demand that she has a drug test because they believed based on this video of her having fun with her friends that she was abusing substances, which is just mind blowing. And what's so infuriating about it is the wrath that she has encountered because she's at a private event um, enjoying herself, which she gets to do because she is, you know, a human uh, vis-a-vis how male pot- politicians are uh, treated, they do something like this. It's brushed under the rug. Oh my goodness, male politicians do things six thousand times worse than this. Looking at you, Boris Johnson, and um, very little happens to them, right? Or the uh, fervor in the media like blows over within five seconds, and so just those freaking double standards um, that are applied to women um, that are not applied to men. And there it is again, over and over again, can't seem to escape this pretty persistent, much like our conversation today and the the issues of uh, 
judging someone's body. And so big old hell no to that situation. Man, that sucks. I mean, come on now. Come on. Oh, goodness. Let me, I need to calm down after that one. Well, Lisa, I have talked about pageants quite a bit um, recently and in this podcast, but I wanted to bring up one more thing about pageantry, which is a huge change. Um, I participated in the Miss America, Miss Virginia program, um, but Miss Universe, which is a different program entirely, has new rules. And I took this for granted um, when I was in the pageant world, but now I'm like, whoa, this is a huge change. As of August 6th, after 70 years of the Miss Universe pageant, um, there's going to be a big change in the policies. So now, what is going to be the policy is that previously only single women aged between 18 and 28 who have never been married or had children were allowed to apply. Well, that has now changed. And so now we've got a lot of different changes here. You can certainly um, not be single or not have been single in the past, right? Or folks who may have been mothers or married women in the past. So I think this is very interesting. And there's also been a bit of a change as well in regards to uh, male to female or anyone who may consider themselves as non-binary or trans. And so given that, we want to just say a hell maybe, because again, we realize, I'm I'm just reflecting back, Lisa, on Brown v. Board and so many different uh, policies, even on the federal and state level, where yes, there were changes to be more inclusive, but it took folks a little bit of time to act right. It took people a little bit of time to accept it. It took people a little bit of time not to harass and harm people um, who access uh, those particular um, events, education, et cetera, because of the changes in policy. And so I am always concerned about the safety of those folks. Um, however, I do appreciate and hell yeah to the spirit behind the changes in the policy. Um, so my hope is that the policy change as long as well as the spirit uh, behind that policy change is accepted as quickly as humanly possible, um, yeah. knowing that not all cultures are accepting of our trans siblings. So there you have it. A hell maybe. A hell maybe. So it's a watch this space. And I have to say, right. I almost reacted here on Zoom with a um, emoji, a shocked emoji that there was a prohibition on married women or moms entering the competition because that I did not know because I have yeah. zero education on these kinds of things. But um mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll see. It sounds like they're they're coming into the into the the real world, into the modern day. But um, I I think Shauna, you're probably correct that it's gonna be there's gonna be some resistance to that. Oh, 70 years in the making. Do you want to get more out of your rides this summer? Any old device can track distance, time, and pace. But how about the ability to see the upcoming hills or points of interest along your route? The Hammerhead Caro 2 helps you find your path forward and unlock your full potential on every ride. The Hammerhead Caro 2 is the most advanced GPS cycling computer available today with industry-leading mapping, navigation, and routing capabilities that set it apart from other GPS options. 
Free global maps with points of interest included, like cafes or campsites, mean you can explore with confidence and on-the-go flexibility. So one of the really neat things about the Hammerhead is that it sends bi-weekly software updates, and I've definitely noticed those in my emails. And so they have these new feature releases, and those are unmatched by the competition. So unlike other head units, your Karu 2 continues to evolve and improve with each ride better than the last. So this is an exclusive limited time offer only for our podcast listeners. So don't forget to use promo code UNFAZED. That's a free heart rate monitor with the purchase of a Karu 2. Go to hammerhead.io, add both items to your cart and use promo code UNFAZED today. It's race season in the Northern Hemisphere, and that means hard races, hard training sessions, and sore muscles are guaranteed. Luckily, the new Muscle and Mind Soak from TryHard effectively reduces muscle soreness while soothing dry and cracked skin. It provides an anti-stress remedy to fully relax and maximize recovery, leading to higher performance. The Epsom Dead Sea Salts in the Muscle and Mind Soak encourage the absorption of magnesium into the body to reduce muscle cramps, swelling, and joint tightness. It will also help you wind down and relax. So go ahead and use code STAYFEISTY20 for 20% off at tryhard.co. That's STAYFEISTY20 for 20% off at tryhard.co. Unfazed, a podcast produced by Feisty Media and supported by the Outspoken Summit. Edited and produced by the fabulous Millie Perry. Email us at info at unfazedpodcast.com and find us on social media at Try to Defy, at Dr. Gold Speaks, or at Outspoken Women and Try. I'm Lisa. I'm Shauna. Thanks for listening. Stay unfazed, folks. See you next time. <laughs>